Our scripture reading today is a selection of Proverbs, so I encourage you to follow along in your worship guide for the references. Whoever plans to do evil will be called a schemer. The devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. A scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Drive out a scoffer, and strife will go out, and quarreling and abuse will cease. Strike a scoffer, and the simple will learn prudence. When a scoffer is punished, the simple become wise. Fools scoff at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. All right. Um, my name is Harrison. I'm the associate pastor here at Hope Chapel. Um, if I haven't met you yet, I'd love to, love to meet you. Um, kids' stories, uh, fairy tales that we tell our kids are, are passed down wisdom from older generation that we want our kids to, to have. And one of the books that my daughter has is, uh, she was given this, uh, Baby Shark, Five Minute Stories. Um, one of which is Little Red Riding Shark. Okay, Little Red Riding Shark. Uh, in Little Red Riding Shark, uh, little, re- uh, little Baby Shark is going on a journey to visit his grandma. And uh, as he goes, he's nervous that he's going to run into a scary whale. And sure enough, as he goes, he's all happy. And in the background of these, if you see this little spot, there's, there is a whale uh, lurking, chasing him. And Baby Shark is eventually caught by this whale and confronted. And when he is, he screams and the whale screams. And it turns out, uh, let's see where it turns out, uh, the whale is, is mommy whale. And the whale wanted to send uh, flowers to Baby Shark's grandma via Baby Shark. So he was seeking to find Baby Shark um, and was just a nice whale. And the story uh, of, of uh, Little Red Riding Shark tells the message that uh, not everything a kid is scared of is actually something that is dangerous. Not every unknown adult out there is someone who could hurt you. Uh, many of them are lovely people. Uh, this, uh, if you have kids, can be a really helpful message when they're in stranger danger mode, uh, when they, they won't be held by their grandma who loves them dearly. Um, uh, not everything that you're afraid of is actually dangerous. Now, um, the, the source material for um, Little Red Riding Shark is a little different, uh, Little Red Riding Hood, as it passes down really the opposite message. Um, Little Red Riding Hood, uh, in the original version, is taking food to her sick grandma and is cautioned to be careful. A wolf comes along uh, as she goes on the path, and, and she tells the wolf, trustingly, her purpose to go to her grandma's house. And uh, he then leaves her, goes ahead in secret, shows up uh, to the grandma's house, dressed as Little Red Riding Hood, gains entry, and immediately eats the sick grandmother. Already a, a slightly darker than Little Red Riding Shark. Um, then Little Red Riding Hood arrives. The wolf is dressed as a grandmother, sick in bed. And Little Red Riding Hood notices her grandma looks a little strange. Uh, she says, goodness, what big eyes you have. The better to see you with. 
says the wolf. What big hands you have, the better to embrace you with. And lastly, what big mouth you have, the better to eat you with. And the wolf jumps out of bed and devours her too. And full of uh, human in his belly, the wolf falls fast asleep in the grandma's bed. And the story ends there. How's that for a kid's story? <laughs> in, in this story, uh, older generations wanted their kids to know not every adult in this world who smiles and seems nice is someone you should trust. There are wolves in the world driving by, offering you candy and ice cream, but they don't always have your best in mind. When you're playing by yourself in the woods, when you're walking to school on your own, when you're lost in the grocery store and a strange adult approaches you, Little Red Riding Hood wants you to know there are some mommy whales you can trust. There are also some wolves you should not trust. So be careful. We've been going through the book of Proverbs, which is a, a book in Scripture that contains the wisdom of God regarding the grittiness of our everyday life. We've looked at a few pathways that people can take that are opposed to the path of wisdom. Three lifestyles that Proverbs have. And, and the first one we looked at was the path of the na- naive or the simple. The simple are a lot like Little Red Riding Hood, actually. Um, they believe most everything anyone says. They're moldable. They're nice people who just want to go with the flow. What, what big teeth do you have, Grandma? But when you have a wolf knocking at the door, the naive are the first to let him in. Oh, come on in. It's fine. Everything's fine. It's good. The, the path of a fool is another path that was opposed to wisdom we looked at last week. It's a, a person who thinks they're always right. No one can tell them any differently. They love giving their opinions. Don't really listen to, to yours. They have no control over their words. Their emotions will blow up over you at every little thing. But it's always your fault. And you'll try and try to show them another perspective outside of their own, but they won't be able to see it. The fool thinks he can take on the wolf. But the wolf is way too smart for him. He gets easily manipulated. So today we're looking at the third path that's opposed to wisdom, and it's the path of the scoffer, the wolf himself in Little Red Riding Hood. It's, this is the intentionally wicked person. There are words for the scoffers from God. There's still hope for them. It's slimmer than the other people, but there's still hope. And Proverbs wants to teach us three things about the scoffing path. First one, how do you recognize a scoffer? Uh, Proverbs wants you to be able to recognize the scoffer out there and the scoffer in your own heart. How do you handle the scoffing of others? If you, if you go about your life, you notice a wolf, uh, what do you do? And then thirdly, how do we handle our own scoffing? Uh, what if we in here sitting right now are a scoffer? Is there hope for us? Those are the three things we'll look at. How do you recognize a scoffer? How do we handle the scoffing of others? And how do we handle our own scoffing? First, uh, let me pray. God, teach us this morning. We need your words uh, regarding the evil that's in this world, and we don't need mine. Uh, Would you give us your wisdom from your word? Amen. So first, how do you recognize a scoffer? Uh, In Proverbs, there's five warning signs. First one is this, uh, Proverbs 24, 8 through 9, in your bulletin, you can find it there. Whoever plans to do evil will be called a schemer. The devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. 
So when you're interpreting a proverb, a key is that both statements, when it's back-to-back, both statements inform each other. So when it says the devising of folly is sin and the scoffer is an abomination of mankind, you immediately know that, that the one devising folly is the scoffer they're talking about. So in this little section, there's also the schemer in verse 8 too, who's planning to do the evil. So the first sign that we have, Proverbs gives us, is if you notice someone doing something bad, they know very well that thing is a bad thing. Not only are they doing it, they've also planned it out for quite a while. Uh, you know that is a sign that this person is a scoffer. The naive, remember, doesn't consider the path that he walks. Uh, he doesn't plan much out. Uh, the fool falls into sin in the moment. Uh, remember, it's, it's his impulsiveness, his anger that gets him into trouble. But the scoffer thinks deeply about the path that he walks, but intentionally chooses wickedness as his path. So that's sign number one, the devising of sin. The second and third signs are, are found in Proverbs 1, which is not in your bulletin. It's a little longer, but I'm just going to read it to you. It Actually, Proverbs immediately gives you the voice of the scoffer. It wants you to know what the scoffer sounds like. Proverbs 1, 11 through 14. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our house with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. This is the voice of the scoffer. And notice two signs in here. uh, The first one is the pleasure that he gets from evil. The pleasure in hurting others. Let us swallow them alive. It's so fun, isn't it? Also, the second sign we see here is he's persuading others into evil. Come with us. We'll all get rich. They are manipulative of others, persuasive, able to to draw others in. So far we've got the the devising of evil beforehand, taking pleasure in it, drawing others into it. And Proverbs says this kind of behavior comes from a root issue. Proverbs 21, 24. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. Notice uh, four words repeated in this one proverb that all mean the same thing. Arrogant, haughty man, arrogant pride. This is the heaviest possible amount of emphasis. The proverb wants you to know the utter and complete arrogance that underlies the scoffer. It's an arrogance that overtakes his whole being. This is not somebody who just struggles with uh, a little bit of arrogance or pride in certain parts of their life. This is somebody who is arrogant through and through. There's not a single ounce of fear of the Lord in their eyes. Scoffer means literally mocker. Someone who mocks at God and at his ways. You won't stop me, God. You can do nothing. You will do nothing. It's a complete confidence in their ability to manipulate life to their own ends with no ramifications. So this complete arrogance is sign number four. And then lastly, uh, sign number five, Proverbs 29, 8. Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. So you can recognize a scoffer by the smoke and fire from afar. The wake of destruction that's left in their path. If you upset a fool, a fool blows up at you immediately um, in anger. He yells at you. But if you upset a scoffer, uh, he just smiles. Comes back later to set your house on fire. So five signs of the scoffer. uh, Planning out of evil beforehand. 
taking pleasure in that evil, persuading others into it due to their complete arrogance, which all causes a lot of destruction around them. Our cultural stories are full of people like this. Uh, Scoffers don't always start out that way in the stories, but they always end up that way by the end. Um, Emperor Palpatine, I would say, is is the scoffer par excellence from Star Wars. Um, He plans out evil long in advance. He's got great plans. takes a lot of pleasure in it. Remember him, power, unlimited power. You know, he just loves it. He sets planets aflame with his Death Star. Uh, Darth Vader is a scoffer uh, up until the very end. Uh, when he changes. Anakin was a fool uh, who was dabbling with scoffing. Um, Sauron from Lord of the Rings, scoffer. Saruman, scoffer. Voldemort, pretty much any bad guy in a movie uh, is a scoffer. Thanos has a great scoffer quote uh, where he sort of turns into the scoffer. Uh, He says, in all my years of conquest, violence and slaughter, it was never personal. But I tell you now, what I'm about to do to your stubborn, annoying little planet. I'm going to enjoy it very, very much. That's, that's the scoffer's voice. Why do most stories we tell include a scoffer? Why does 100 Dalmatians, a kid's movie, have a central character who loves killing puppies? It's because our fallen world is full of scoffers that you have to face. You turn on the news, kidnappings, mass shootings in schools, rapes, abuse, premeditated murders, conflicts in Israel and Ukraine are full of scoffers. And they aren't just out there. They might be in here, in this room. There are scoffers in our families. The husband with the secret affair or the second family that maybe he foolishly fell into at one point in time, but now he plans it out long in advance a scoffer. The sexual abuser hiding in some families is a scoffer. The parent who physically attacks his spouse or kids in anger to teach them a lesson you only know by the bruises is a scoffer. Our churches can have scoffers. Uh, Those who dominate with their power. Those who spiritually abuse. Those who plan evil against their enemies in church. It's even the person with the habit of putting others down behind their backs who knows it's wrong, but takes a lot of pleasure into it. And it invites other people in. Come, let's make fun of Jerry for a bit. What a fool. Scoffers are out there. They're in here. And likely, if you're like me, have sometimes been in here. Have you or I ever had deliberate, planned out sin in your life? Have you ever turned an arrogant heart towards God? I know this is wrong. I don't care. Have you ever influenced others towards sin knowingly? Many of us have stepped onto the scoffing path. Some of us have walked on it. All of us are in some ways recovering scoffers. There's hope uh, for the scoffer. It's, It's slimmer than the fool and the naive, but it's there. First, God's wisdom would tell us to get comfortable noticing and naming it. The naive uh, do not like noticing the scoffer because they believe the best of everyone. They give everyone the benefit of the doubt in their lives. Blanket policy. And this, this policy is not all bad. There are some times where this mindset, the benefit of the doubt for this person, is appropriate. 
like your spouse, your longtime friend who have earned the benefit of the doubt. So whenever there's a hurt, uh, it's usually a misunderstanding between you. They didn't want to hurt you or plan to hurt you. And in these cases, the benefit of the doubt policy is a good, it's a good policy. But for the, for the naive, this is a policy that applies to everybody. Um, even the people in their lives who have proven untrustworthy for years, who have hurt them over and over, still the benefit of the doubt. The scoffer relies on this naivete to manipulate that person. God would not have his people be naive. He does not want his people to be a place where wolves can operate and hurt his flock. There's sometimes uh, with naming scoffers that uh, we can play the fool, not the naive, but the fool in our woundedness. Uh, Maybe we've been hurt, so we get cynical and say, well, they're all scoffers out there, every one of them. All the politicians, those of power, the celebrities, the establishment, the local church, the Christians, all crooked. That's the, the voice of the wounded fool. He's got an accent too, I guess. Uh, this fool uh, can't properly name the scoffer either because there are some real scoffers in politics, in the church. There are also many people who are not, but the fool doesn't know how to tell the difference. So he isolates himself from everybody in his woundedness, like Jake talked about in his sermon, and they suffer alone. His door is permanently closed, and even the trustworthy can't get in. And God would not have his people be isolated and cynical either. He wants us to be realistic. There are scoffers. There are some people who are not. We need to learn how to notice and name scoffing, how to tell who they are and who are not scoffers. So mark these five signs in your mind. Uh, Take these home again, like we've done with the other Proverbs. Take these home and and memorize them, study them. Uh, The planning of evil beforehand, taking pleasure in that evil, persuading others into it, due to a complete arrogance, which all causes much destruction. If you see somebody inviting you into this kind of lifestyle, um, they know it's evil. God wants you to name this in your head. Wait a minute. Uh, This person sounds just like the scoffer in Proverbs. God told me about you. You're inviting me into scoffing. God wants our church to be a place where we can pause and place red flags when we see the scoffing path opening up. We want to be a place where we can notice somebody who's firmly been on that path and stop them and call them back and stop their plans before they can carry them out. And this leads us to point number two is is when we notice a scoffer, how do we handle the scoffing of others? How do we respond to to a wolf when you see one? The first thing Proverbs says is that there's some strategies that will not work with someone truly stuck on the scoffing path. Proverbs 13.1, a wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. And then the the same message, but slightly different, Proverbs 15.12, the scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. So part of what these two Proverbs are saying is that similar to how we saw with the fool, it just is not going to work to try and reason with the scoffer. To try to rebuke him and reprove him. Even with God's word, he's not going to listen. But notice the slight difference in the second proverb. Not only will he not listen, he ain't going to like it. In other words, it'll make him angry. And this leads to Proverbs 9-7. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. He who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. This is saying, uh, when you're making a scoffer angry by reproving him, you become a target. Remember, the scoffer 
doesn't turn from his wrath. He sets the city aflame. So the scoffer gets reproved, and he doesn't blow up like the fool, but he coldly threatens you or blackmails you. How's your family doing? 354 Johnson Drive, maybe I'll pay them a visit. Hey, don't you have a job review coming up? It would be a bad time for your boss to get a complaint about you, wouldn't it? You know the scoffer, when you reprove him, and start looking behind your back a little more. Locking your door a little earlier, maybe you get one of those ring doorbells. A lot of wisdom in Proverbs is connecting an initial action with the end of that action. Showing the, the start of the path and then the destination of where that path's going. So this is doing that. It's not necessarily saying never reprove a scoffer. But it is saying if you do, he isn't going to listen. And your abuse and injury are one of the results you will get. So what path might we take instead? Is there another path? Uh, here's one uh, with a beginning and ending phrasing again. Drive out a scoffer and strife will go out. Quarreling and abuse will cease. So if you kick out a scoffer, Proverbs is saying, strife goes out with him, and quarreling and abuse in your context will end. So remove a wolf from the flock, put up a tall barbed wire fence, and you will find the peace you seek. The inverse could also be said to be true. If you insist on keeping the wolf in there, you insist on keeping in strife, quarreling and abuse. And again, this is not a direct command. It's a beginning and an end of a path. Make your choice. What we can gather from all this, it sounds a little better to drive them out, if you can. Here's another one, Proverbs 19.29. Condemnation is ready for scoffers. The scoffer's behavior, in other words, invites condemnation. Condemnation stands ready with open arms to receive them. This is referring to another path we can take regarding scoffing as the wise speak out against it. Condemn it. They name the true wickedness that's there. They say, this is evil. This is not the way of Jesus. This is not okay. It cannot continue. Condemnation is ready for scoffing behavior. And the wise condemn it. And this actually teaches something to the others who are around the situation, around the wise. Uh, Proverbs 19.25, Strike a scoffer, and the simple will learn prudence. When a scoffer is punished, the simple become wise. Proverbs 21.11. So when a scoffer is condemned and face the appropriate consequences and boundaries for their actions, the naive are looking on and they learn. Oh, these are the consequences if I decide to go down this path. The naive might have been flirting for fun with the beginnings of the scoffing path. Maybe I've started viewing some pornography in secret. Not yet a full-on affair. I haven't abused anybody. But now I see this path I'm flirting with is really serious. It causes hurt. It ends in a miserable place. It leads to my own condemnation. In fact, I need to stop. I need help. I don't want to end up where this person is now. The naive are learning something called prudence. Our reason controlling our actions. They learn it when scoffing is rightly condemned. Another truth the naive learn, the character of God is one of a protector of the weak and the vulnerable. In uh, counseling children of an abusive parent, we learn that one of the hardest relationships to reconcile is not only to the parent who did the abusing, but it's also to the parent who knew about it and did nothing. They were the naive accomplice. 
They didn't want to rock the boat. They made excuses for the abuser uh, to themselves and to others. They might have blamed the child or hid the abuse from others out of shame. They put long sleeves and long pants on the child. And this gives the message to the kid. The scoffers will be protected at the cost of the lives of the weak. You are a sacrifice I am willing to make to protect the scoffer. And the wise know this is not the way of Jesus. God is in no way like that naive parent. Here's one thing uh, Jesus said to scoffers who hurt the little ones. He said, whoever causes one of these little ones to believe, who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Put that on a bumper sticker, right? Jesus is saying, let me be clear. Drowning will seem pleasant to you compared to what will happen on the other side of this if you touch one of these kids. You will not go unpunished. By saying that, he's condemning scoffing. And when the naive listening in hear this, they start thinking a lot more about their past when they're around those kids, right? Some American Christians don't have a great category for this side of Jesus that condemns scoffing. But he does it actually a lot. From the very beginning, uh, Jesus taught his disciples all about scoffers and the hell that he's prepared for them. Uh, He taught how to spot a scoffer. He says, uh, Beware of those who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. And he says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus is saying, Hey, you can spot these scoffers by the fruit that's following them in their lives. Do you see the fruit of the Spirit around this smiling Christian? Or do you see enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, dissensions, divisions, destruction? If you do see the bad fruit, notice Jesus' warning. The trees of the bad fruit are cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus taught his disciples about scoffing because uh, they dealt with scoffers all the time. They were ultimately put to death by scoffers. Remember, uh, John the Baptist imprisoned by the current king of the Jews, Herod, because he spoke out against Herod divorcing his wife and then marrying the wife of his brother. The new wife commanded her young daughter to come before Herod and ask to dance, but she would only dance if Herod granted her one wish, the severed head of John the Baptist on a platter. Can you imagine telling a young girl to say that to to her dad? And Herod granted her wish. Scoffers were in abundance around Jesus. Religious leaders plotted to kill him. Here's what Jesus said uh, to those scoffers. After a long, uh, through the gospels of him pleading and using subversive stories and telling truth, he, he, this is later on in the gospels when he finally kind of is seeing them um, for who they are. He says, There was a master of the house who planted a vineyard, uh, dug a wine press, and it uh, leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to go get his fruit. The tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son, saying, They will respect my son. 
But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. Notice the, the voice that sounds a lot like the scoffer in the Proverbs. Come, let us do this. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed the son. And Jesus says to the scoffers, When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He gives them a question. They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus makes the scoffers cast judgment on themselves. He makes them describe their future to him. Jesus said to him, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, and the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Jesus is condemning the scoffers. Here's another story he tells right after that. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, sent his servants to call all those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they wouldn't come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatted calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry. He sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And that's where the story ends for the scoffers. Their part to play is over. He he invites others from the streets, but they're they're not the scoffers anymore. Just to drive this, this home, one last example is, uh, again, towards the end of the Gospels. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes! You witness against yourself that you are sons of those who murder the prophets. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape from being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I sent prophets and wise men, some of whom you will kill and crucify, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, all these things will come upon this generation. Jesus is calling out the scoffer, striking the scoffer, condemning the scoffer. He plans, he's telling them he plans to cast them out once for all from his kingdom. That there may be no more strife or abuse or quarreling anymore. The naive listening on might learn wisdom, or they might be like, whoa, that's harsh. That's not the Jesus that I worship. Jesus loves everybody, shows grace to everyone, right? But what the naive don't know is that these words are Jesus' grace for the scoffer. He is giving them truth, hard truth, but the only truth that could shake their utter arrogance. He's warning them as hard as he possibly can. It's not too late for them to turn. But they need to know there's a time when those words are going to come to an end. There's a time when they're going to hear nothing from them. At that time, a chasm is going to be fixed between him and them, and they will only hear weeping and gnashing of teeth. So how do we handle those stuck on the scoffing path? Proverbs encourages us actually to handle them like Jesus did. We will find over time that rebukes won't work, Those who do it are incurring injury. The only thing that will work is naming honestly the scoffing, condemning it, and driving out the scoffer, which also drives out the strife and abuse and quarreling. In church, this is typically the discipline process. It starts with pursuing and pleading and rebuking and mourning by bigger and bigger groups of people. 
And if the scoffer still won't budge, the last step is called excommunication. It's the removal of the scoffer from among the flock on condition of his or her repentance. If down the road they rightly acknowledge their wickedness and genuinely turn back and prove that repentance, they are brought back in with open arms. But only then can the flock really be safe from the scoffer. Until then, uh, this policy is Jesus' grace for the scoffer. The scoffer needs to taste what separation from God and his people feels like while he still has a chance to change. Jesus gives us this policy himself in Matthew 18. This driving out is God's grace for the scoffer and for the rest of the flock. Both of them. The rest of the flock needs to graze in the pasture that doesn't have any wolves in it. And for those of you who have been hurt and abused by scoffers in your life, uh, you know that it's water to your soul when that scoffing is rightly condemned. Right? All of our cultural stories have scoffers. But we tear up at the beauty when those, their schemes are finally defeated by the good guy. Uh, there's an addition to the Little Red Riding Hood story uh, in the Brothers Grimm version. came later. After the satisfied wolf goes to sleep, a strong hunter hears of what happened. He comes in with an axe. He cuts open the sleeping wolf. Actually, Little Red Riding Hood and her grandmother are in there. And they're okay. Uh, they're a little shaken, but unharmed. The hunter uh, fills the wolf's body with heavy stones. And when the wolf awakens, uh, he doesn't know the difference. And he goes and is pretty thirsty and tries to drink from a well, but the stones in his stomach are too heavy. It causes him to fall in the water, and he sinks to the bottom of the dark well and drowns. Sounds a lot like the millstone around the neck, doesn't it? Every good story of a scoffer includes a hero who brings justice. Saves the weak from the bowels of the wolf. Uh, G.K. Chesterton said that fairy tales are more than true, not because they tell us that dragons exist, but because they tell us that dragons can be beaten. Every kid knows from the stranger danger on that there are wolves out there, but they don't know there's a hunter who can bring the wolf down. But make no mistake that we have a hunter. We tell these stories because we instinctively believe that there's a hero who will one day fully and finally put the wolves down, who will cut open the stomach of the evil ones and rescue his people from them. His name's Jesus. But he does say, woe to the one uh, whose stomach he finds his people in. But if you're like me, uh, all this leaves us in one question. Um, how do we handle our own scoffing. What do we do if we're sitting here right now in this room? We've had plans of evil in the past, or right now we've got plans of evil and hurt for later this week. Some of us may be flirting with the scoffing path. Some of us may have taken a number of steps down it. Some of us at this point may be a full-on wolf. You enjoy using others to your own ends, and you know it. Well, firstly, you're not alone. Um, I've stepped onto the scoffing path multiple times in my life. So I want to end with uh, two final words for the scoffer here. The first one Proverbs would give and um, Jesus also would be, uh, be warned. If you haven't felt warned already, uh, I want to make sure that, that you hear it now. Wherever you are on this path, 
It is time right now to repent. Turn around. Go back where you're going to perish. If you continue down this path, condemnation is waiting for you. Weeping and gnashing of teeth are waiting for you. Drowning by death is ideal compared to what is waiting for you. Do not presume on God's grace. Jesus told us himself, if you don't repent, God's grace is not going to save you. Those who die scoffers do not inherit the kingdom of heaven. This warning is God's grace for you right now. Don't put God to the test. Turn while you still can. You being in here means that Jesus has not given up on you. He's not stopped trying to reach you. But don't presume on the next sermon because you might not get one. So the first word is be warned. Second, scoffers, uh, you have a way back. There is a proverb that points it out, actually, the last one in our bulletin. 14.9, fools scoff at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. In ancient Israel, uh, one of the religious practices commanded by God was the guilt offering, in which God's people were to present an animal for sacrifice to atone for their guilt. In this offering, the sins of the person, no matter how wicked, were put on the animal. The animal was killed in their place. It endured God's wrath, and the person's guilt before God was removed. This guilt offering was the scoffer's way back to God. It was their only hope. But here's the thing. Scoffers and fools would make fun of people bringing animals to be sacrificed. They'd say stuff like, what an idiot, wasting that entire animal on this nonsense instead of eating it all for themselves. It's crazy he even believes in this temple stuff. I might try and take advantage of that. Hey, come sacrifice over here. I'll be your priest and eat that meat, <laughs> right? The upright enjoyed full acceptance from God. The fools and scoffers mocked. It's like the scoffers were on a plane going down and they laughed at the guy who found parachutes. Oh, cool backpack. What an idiot. If you are a scoffer in here, if you think lightly or mock at this religious stuff, take another look at this table down here. At this table, we remember the only hope for you getting off your path. Your only hope to getting back with God. What we remember at the table down here is a greater guilt offering in our place. A person who sacrificed that fulfilled all the animal sacrifices, the perfect one who willingly took on the condemnation that we deserve for all of our scoffing in our lives. That person was Jesus. Doesn't a part of you still want forgiveness for what you've done? Does some part of you want to be restored to God? You only have one life. Is this who you want to be? Some part of you wants back in, in the midst of your scoffing. Let that part bring you to the crucified Jesus. He's your way back. If you turn to him now, God has promised to forgive all of it. Even the stuff you never told anybody. You turn to him, you're washed clean. You come into the light, you tell others, you get help. And in this, you may face consequences. But those are actually gifts from God, too. Consequences are teachers from Jesus, the guardrails that help keep us on the path of wisdom. At the end of his life, you remember Jesus endured a lot of scoffing. 
A battalion of soldiers stripped him of his clothes, uh, put a scarlet robe on him, twisted together a crown of thorns and smashed it on his head, and then kneeled before him and said, Hail, King of the Jews! Soldiers took pleasure in meanness. The scariest thing of all in that scene is Jesus was silent. There's no subversive stories, no warnings, no pleading, silence. This is not good if you're a scoffer when he stops speaking to you. Then on the cross, Jesus was between two scoffers, if you remember. One of them railed at him and said, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. And again, silence. No acknowledgement. The other scoffer and criminal rebuked the other, saying, You're under the same sentence of condemnation. Do you not fear God now? We are indeed justly condemned, for we have received a due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. So in this moment, there was no minimizing what he did, no explaining it away, no blaming others. He fully owned it. This is our due reward. He's not trying to bargain with Jesus or manipulate him. He just says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This man had been on the scoffing path for who knows how long. But at the last minute, he saw the path of wisdom calling to him, the cross next to him. And he turned and jumped. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This means, scoffers, it is not too late. Condemnation is ready for the scoffer. But forgiveness in paradise is ready for those who turn. Amen.